May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You've probably noticed that every week right after our opening prayers here at the service, uh, the, the kids third grade and under get up and exit for children's chapel. And usually one of the priests follows along there and follows that little cross right out with them. Uh, for the uninitiated, children's chapel here consists of a couple of songs. We set up a little altar. We take a little offering. Everything on a little kid's scale. And so are the readings and the sermon given by usually the priest who's accompanying. Um, this should also be on a little kid's scale. Now, when we are choosing what to talk about uh, on any given Sunday, the stories provided to us in our lectionary can work out some better than others for the five-year-old translation. Typically, uh, the most fun is the Old Testament for source material. Chariots of fire, right? Parting the sea, Noah's Ark. Everyone is ready to play the giraffe or God or the Egyptians in pursuit and then drowning in the Red Sea. They're very talented actors coming up in our midst. But uh, looking at today, the Old Testament uh, will... Jeremiah and his, what was it, stupid children line... <laughs> Uh, may not fit the audience, so we'd have to go with the gospel today. And it's a good one, some good imagery in there. Everyone can count the ten coins, because we've almost all learned to count to ten now, and we're very proud of it. Uh, we can have 99 sheep who can baa and bleat, and while one wanders around from the rest of the flock looking lost, until the shepherd finds it and brings it back to the fold. And then, if you are the priest, you want to tie up the lesson nicely, right? Give them a good moral for the story, so when they come back to mom and dad, they say, here's what I learned. So, children, God is like an absent-minded woman uh, who loses things, but then cleans her house in the middle of the night and finds it, and she's uh, a little eccentric and wakes up the whole neighborhood because she thinks they'll care that she found a coin in her corner. Or God is like a shepherd, not, I mean, not a very good one, <laughs> loses one of his sheep, uh, and in order to find it, uh, he abandons 99 others in the wilderness to find the one, because there's no way that could turn out disastrously. Now at this point, the kids are over it. Um, but you, with your discerning hearts and developed attention spans, should be perking up. What do you mean? He abandoned 99 sheep for one. That seems unwise pretty clear at least that this is not an effective sheep maximizing strategy, right? Have you met sheep? What, I mean, and what do you mean? She wants to throw a party in the middle of the night for finding a lost coin. I, I've never been invited to that party. I have never heard of this party. 
And even if you want to have a nice message about God putting aside everything to find you, if you want to interpret yourself as the coin or the sheep, it seems pretty clear that the objects in question that are lost couldn't be held responsible for their lostness. A sheep has very little agency, a coin even less. What are we saying about God here? Are you never the seeking shepherd or the absent-minded woman yourself in the story? Is it really responsible to read ourselves into the story at all, given that Jesus likely meant this as a story of God and Israel, but I mean, could have meant it as a story of God and Jesus, or maybe God and the Gentiles? You get the idea. Every story Jesus tells is like this. There's something strange to them. We have heard them so much, good Christian people in a good Christian nation, that they uh, lose their shock value. We've been given a simple moral story, moral to the story so often uh, that we lose kind of the force of what he's saying and the strangeness with which it unfolds itself. I have been thinking about this as I've sat in our Flannery O'Connor class on Wednesday nights. Now, she is a genius storyteller. I know I've got one detractor in the room, at least, who does not think she is a genius, but I think you can say that she is, and you can observe this by the fact that, A, 30 people want to show up here at Calvary on a Wednesday night and talk about this story that they have just experienced, and B, 30 people are pretty certain that everyone else in the room has misunderstood the story in some way. <laughs> I don't think that's actually a bad thing. 30 people entering into a narrative and coming out with differing ideas about its meaning is the mark of a really great story. It has become alive in itself, beyond the author's intent and able to take the reader's individual stories up with it into its life. And O'Connor herself restrict, resisted strict interpretation. When someone asked her to explain a story, she advised them to just simply enjoy it. Jesus was the same way, scholars think. Sometimes we read in the Gospels where the disciples asked Jesus to explain what he meant by a certain parable, and so he spells it out. But we think these clarifications were added on later by editors who heard us crying out for clear morals to these stories about seeds and sowers, barns and their owners, fatty old women and unsuitable shepherds. Subtlety and mystery have never been great selling points. It is hard to establish a community unified around mystery. We've seen this clearly in our age. Beyond the appeals of religious fundamentalism, the Trump era will be remembered, I think, for the people's cry to just tell it to me straight and being delivered unto our desires until, the, like the Israelites begging for quail in the wilderness, it comes out of our nostrils. There is nothing subtle in our political circuses, only flashy lights, grandiosity. We have memorized talking points, party lines, 
Every activist organization that in emails me starts their email with the clarion call of, let me be clear. The ancient Job conceded to the whirlwind, your wisdom is too great for me, beyond my understanding. But the modern Job rejects any narrative larger than his own understanding. What to say of a community like ours, in a time like ours, gathered around the celebration of a holy mystery? Writer Megan O'Giblin was raised as a fundamentalist Christian. She became an atheist. And she writes of what she expected to find when she stepped out of this faith into a world made perfectly rational now. She says, I imagined myself exiting a primitive cave and striding onto terra firma, embracing a world where there would be no more shadows, no more distant echoes, only the blinding and unambiguous light of science and reason. But as it turns out, the material world is every bit as elusive as the superstitions I left behind. The laws of physics are slippery and resistant to grand unifying theories. The outcomes of quantum experiments change depending on our observation of them. Particles solidify when we probe them, but become waves when we turn our backs. As the physicist Paul Davies once put it, Nature seems to play tricks on us. Some scientists have now begun to take seriously the proposition that we exist within a multiverse, that we are forever separated from the truth of our existence by an impenetrable quantum veil. What to make of this sly and nonsensical universe? It would undo the point of a sermon about mystery to give you a clear answer about mystery. <laughs> but I do want to suggest that the greatest things in life are that which cannot be flattened, that wither under scrutiny. The new parents who can tell you how tired they are very easily but struggle with the words to explain this love and this fear that they never anticipated. Or you fall for someone, and an ordinary occasion like brushing up against her suddenly holds a multiverse of meaning and question. These things are the golden memory of your grandparents' kitchen, the elation when you first translated the scribbles on a page into language or music. And maybe, maybe only once or twice in your life, when you caught a glimpse of the ineffable, a late night when you were the last awake around the campfire, or the vision at the graveside, or maybe when you wandered into a cavernous church and felt like you were kneeling to something greater than the consuming mystery of your own soul. It might feel a little bit like being lost. And suddenly a great something comes sweeping into your dark corner. It might feel like being found out of nowhere, finding yourself 
lifted, carried on the shoulders of a presence who knows you and was searching everywhere for you. A friend told me the other day, you know, kids are better at handling complexity than you give them credit for. Maybe the stories are best without you making it easy for them. <laughs> 